dreamers. Welcome to another episode of the Money Matters podcast. In this episode, we're tackling the two things everyone thinks they know, but doesn't really understand, tax and superannuation. Helping us work our assets off is Christina Hobbs, who is the co-founder and CEO of Verve Super. Christina lives and breathes super all day, every day, making her the perfect person to take us through everything from tax file numbers to super funds. So without further ado, welcome, Christina. Thanks so much for having me on. Before we dive in, it's time to share a win of the week. This week, we're celebrating Jenny. Jenny loves to bake and is earning some extra money by selling her baked goods to a local cafe. Go Jenny! We love celebrating you on your big and small wins throughout your journey, so be sure to submit your money wins on the forum for your chance to be featured and to win extra points in the Dreamers Hub. So thanks so much for joining us today, Christina. We've got quite a bit of ground to cover. So before we get into it all, can you please just tell me and everyone else just a bit about what you do and how you ended up in finance and particularly in superannuation? Well, it was a bit of a meandering journey to end up starting Verve Super and being the founder of a company. But essentially, I've worn many hats. So at university, I studied economics and psychology. I began my career working a large accounting firm as something called a management consultant. I then spent about 10 years overseas working for the United Nations. And it was actually when I came back from an overseas posting that I started looking at my own superannuation because my mom had kind of collected all my forms and said, I'm sick of getting all this mail. You've got to consolidate your accounts. And it was in the process of doing that, that I spoke to somebody from my own superannuation company And I was talking to them about different options and which option I should choose. And they said, oh, we've got this like ethical green option. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm like, well, what's like the non-ethical option? Like what's my money currently in? And I found out through that day and doing subsequent research, my money was actually being invested through my superannuation in weapons companies, in companies that were testing cosmetics on animals in fossil fuel companies that were doing new coal developments in Australia. And I really didn't want my money being invested in all of these things. And I was already very passionate about financial literacy and supporting people to learn more about how to manage their money. And that was really the idea for starting Verve Super, which is a superannuation fund that invests ethically. So we invest in companies that are good for our environment, that are good for women, good for our communities. And we also provide free financial coaching and we tailor everything we do for women. And that's because a lot of the old financial institutions in Australia, you know, 93% of financial institutions are led by men in Australia. When they were first established, they're often established with a male client in mind. And so a lot of women feel like they can't really engage very well with their financial company. So we want to create something that's tailored for women. But having said that, we've got some amazing men as members. We've got some amazing non-binary people as members as well. So we do welcome everyone, um, but we tailor what we do to support women. Oh my God, I have so many questions, but I want to start with tax. So all countries operate on a different tax system, but here in Australia, anyone earning over $18,200 in a financial year has to pay income tax through the government, which is used to fund a wide range of services through our community. What about young Australians and in particular young carers who have a lot more financial demands placed on them? How can they be better supported in our tax system or understand our tax system? 
Yeah, I think that's a really good question because a lot of us just sort of see, um, you know, you sort of see their, their paychecks and we see that each month or each week or each fortnight there's some money going out that we have to pay on tax and that's sort of all we think about. But I think there's two sides of it. So I think one part is understanding that that money that we're paying is the money that we're paying for our government to do things for us. And it's our politicians whose salaries we also pay who on our behalf get to divide that money up to determine who's going to get service for what. And so as when you're thinking about things like, you know, if you're a carer or if you're a student, when you're thinking things about about what your education's costing, what services you're getting, um, you know, I think it's good to realize that as a person paying tax, you're actually paying this money. And so you should actually be demanding services and things that support you with that money because that's what it's there for. And then I think the other main thing that how tax sort of interacts with our lives is, of course, that every year we have to do a tax return. And that tax return is really an opportunity for us to make certain that we've paid the correct amount of tax and to claim any deductions against the tax that's been coming out of our, out of our pay. So I think as a young person, they're probably the two things I would, I would keep in mind, understanding a bit more about how to do a tax return and then also understanding that this is money you're paying. So go and ask the government for the things that you think that money should be spent on. So when we get our first job, we're told we need to organise a tax file number, but we really only need a tax file number once we start lodging our tax, when we've hit that $18,000 threshold. So how come we're told that we need a tax file number from the minute we get our first job so we can keep it when we, it, to me, it doesn't seem like we really need it that early. Yeah, it's a good point. I guess it's sort of the government's way of tracking you. So when you get that first job, even though you might not be paying tax, um, if you think about it from the government's perspective, they don't know yet if this is your first and only job or if this is sort of your sixth or seventh casual job that you have. And so it's really a way to start tracking you from your very first job, I guess. So even if you haven't hit that threshold, it's a way for the government to to make certain that you haven't hit it. And the other thing, of course, is that, and especially for young people working, is that you might not hit that threshold overall in a year, um, but what might happen, so particularly if during school holidays you you work additional hours, maybe, maybe if you work in retail or another position, you might actually work full-time hours for a couple of weeks during your holidays. And so it might be that for a small period in the year, you actually go over the threshold and that your employer will start taking tax out of your salary. And in that case, it's really important at the end of the year that you claim that money back again. So when we talk about claiming money back, how do we know what we can claim? What do we need to claim? I know that I you watch on TV and there's all these end of financial year sale ads and all these this big deal made about the end of financial year and about tax claims. How do how do we learn all of that stuff? Yeah, I think it's it's a really good point. So first of all, if you have a job at the end of the financial year, so in June, your employer will provide you with a statement which basically says how much you've earned throughout the year. Um, And then you've got a few months at the end of the year to complete your tax return. Um, And essentially, this is a really great opportunity, even in your first job, to start understanding how the system works. Um, And what I sort of suggest in in relation to this is get yourself set up with a MyGov account so that you can go in. And it's very easy to do your tax return through MyGov. So, 
Um, it's a quite a simple process. You go through. Back in my day, we used to have to. In my first job, I had to go down to the news agent, get a full tax pack that was about this thick, and go through all these paper forms and fill it all out and get all these other paperwork and send it off. But these days, it is pretty easy to do online. And the best thing to do is just to start researching. So as you're going through and you're filling out that tax return, it will ask you, are there any deductions you want to claim in this section? Do you need to claim any form of income in this section? And so you can actually have a look on the ATO website, what all those sections mean. And it's a great thing to actually spend a couple of hours looking at and and working at. And it's all written in very simple English. But of course, there are things that many of you listening might be able to claim for. So um, for instance, sometimes if you if you're paying for a uniform, if you're paying for washing of a uniform, there's a whole lot of different things that might be applicable for you. If you're using, for instance, your own car as part of your job, and these are all things that you might be able to claim back on. And what that means is that you you enter in how much you've spent, and then you're able to claim that back from the tax that you've paid. Now, of course, if you're under the threshold, you're not going to have to pay any tax for the year anyway but you'll still need to do the tax return in order to get, in order to, to tell the government, this is what I did earn and therefore I need to get that money back in those periods where you did pay tax. But it's a great, it's a great thing to, to start learning about it because by the time you're, you get that, you know, you start, you do start earning more income or in later jobs down the track, um, it really, it really pays to know the kinds of things that you can claim on. And the reason why that's important is that there is an amount that everyone can claim without having to have receipts and things like that. But a lot of other expenses, you actually need to have receipts. So if at the end of the year, you've known you've spent all this money and that it's money you might be able to get back, um, if you don't have receipts and if you haven't collected it throughout the year, you won't be able to. So it's actually important at the beginning to understand what you might potentially be able to claim on um, and then to make certain that you're collecting your evidence and receipts. And something that I would really tell everyone is, you know, spend the time to understand a little bit about what you can claim on and, and, and things like that and what kind of paperwork you need to keep. And then just make certain that you're really organized. So um, if you are claiming deductions, you'll be asked by the ATO to keep receipts for a certain amount of time. It might be five years or it might be more. So just make certain you've got a file on your laptop um, and you pop in or your computer or whatever you're using where you pop in the tax year and you just make certain you've got all the receipts and supporting evidence filed there and you keep it for the amount of time that you need to keep it so that if the ETO does um, call you up and ask you for that evidence that you do have it. Um, and that's, of course, also why it's really important um, to not fake things on your tax return and not put in expenses that you don't have evidence for because the ATO does, does chase up on that. And if you are caught out, um, depending on whether they think you've lied on purpose or by accident, you will actually also have to pay a fine on top of the money you have to pay back. So it is important to keep your paperwork in order. Wow. This is definitely the reason my dad always tells me I need to keep receipts and <laughs> I should start doing that. I tend to have like a big clump of receipts at the bottom of my handbag. I should probably spend some time going through those. <laughs> yeah. I um, think a lot of us are in that situation. <laughs> Talk to me about superannuation. So when we get our first jobs, we're often signed up to a superannuation fund. I was signed up to an industry super fund when I got my first job and I didn't really understand it. It sounds like retirement is so far away and why do we need to be putting money into a fund when we're 14, 15 years old for that 
Tell me a bit more about why superannuation is important. Yeah, it's a really great question. So at the end of the day, superannuation is sort of the money that um, you're forced in a way to put away. Um, Later in life, when you have more income, you can actually choose to put more money in yourself. Um, But when you're young and you're seeing that money going out and you're not going to be able to touch it for a long time, it does feel like something very much that's forced on you. And this is really to ensure that by the time that you retire, you'll have sufficient savings that you can continue to live a comfortable life. And the superannuation system on the whole is a really, really great tool. So it means that most people retiring today do have savings to support them later in life, which is really good. And there's a couple of reasons why as a young person, even though it feels very far away, that it's important to think about now. Um, And the first one is that due to something called compound interest, the money that you make now is actually worth a whole lot more in the future. And that's because if you put away $100 today or this year um, and the share market goes up by 10%, next year you'll have $110 and then that $110 is invested. And then if the market goes up by 10% again, you'll actually make $11. And so each each year you're making more and more money on, on those earnings. And so it's often the very first savings that people have um, and those really those first few years of work that end up providing a really big benefit later on. So that's why it's important even as a young person to understand a little bit about the system and how it works. Um, and in terms of choosing a superannuation fund, a lot of people do feel like this is something ha- that their employer is choosing for them or it's something somehow this money is the government's money. But this is actually our money. And I think it's quite exciting for a couple of reasons. And the first one is because you're actually making an investment. So for most of us, our first investment is actually our superannuation. So you actually, through your superannuation, own shares. So you're investing in the share market. And it's a really cool way, because you have to put away this money anyway, of actually learning how to invest and how to invest in the share market. And hopefully by the time you're a bit older, you'll be investing in other things, like you might buy a property, you might want to invest more in shares. And so actually taking the time to learn a little bit now um, will really provide you the skills for later in life. So, you know, a couple of things that are basic concepts that, um, you know, even if you're just listening today and you write them down and go and do some more research online, um, but looking at performance. So um, some funds are performing much better than others. So we know that some funds are charging really high fees and they're not performing any better. And so just understanding a little bit about how do I check for performance, how do I check for fees um, is really important. And then the other thing I mentioned also values and ethics. So if you're somebody who likes to consume um, ethically, make other ethical decisions, then it might be important for you to also invest in line with your values. Um, And in which case you might want to look specifically at um, at a fund that is investing ethically. And the good news is that in Australia and in the UK and the US, there's great research that's showing that actually ethical funds are performing um, better than the market, so better than other funds, both over three-year horizon, five-year horizon and 10-year horizon. So I think these are three things that anyone can can do a bit of research on, fees, performance um, and ethics and go away and have a look and and then see if you can develop enough knowledge that you can work out how to judge the current performance of your super fund. Um, But as a young person, something that's a couple of really good tips 
is trying to find a super fund. So Verve is one of these super funds that we don't charge a fixed fee on balances under $5,000. So that means that if you have a small balance, we don't charge a fixed fee. And that's because most funds charge anywhere between $50 to $100 a year um, in a fixed fee for managing your money. So if you only are putting in $100 a year or $200 a year, you're losing a huge amount to that fixed fee. So trying to find a fund that either charges a low fixed fee or or no fixed fees is going to be really important um, as a starting point for you. Um, And so I think the other thing that's really important on that is also to just have or to think about just having one superannuation fund. Um, And that's because most of you will know when you started a job, your employer might have said, oh, hey, here's a fund. And then you start another job and they're like, oh, here's another fund. And so you end up with five or six funds. Now, imagine if each of these funds each year is charging you $100 as a fixed fee. Very quickly, all that money that you've put away and started saving is going to disappear. And so if you do have a superannuation fund already and you've maybe checked how it's performing um, or you've checked to make certain that you're paying a low fixed fee or maybe you're not paying a fixed fee, then where possible, um, think about whether you want to consolidate um, your other super funds into that one fund. So to just have one that you're keeping track of. Um, and, you know, it's pretty incredible. We have, when people join our fund, um, they're able to move their other funds across and we make that quite easy. And it's quite incredible and, and also a bit sad to see, you know, some women who are coming into our fund in their 50s and they've got over 20 superannuation funds and they've had that um, for much of their lives just because they've had all these different casual jobs. And so they've been paying thousands of dollars per year just for nothing. So I think these these concepts, um, although what I'm saying now might seem very new, um, I think the important thing is just write them down and do, and do a bit of research after this. Um, and I think if you think about it as you're making an investment decision in shares, um, and this is something you can track and you can look at, I think it's quite a, an interesting project for anyone, even if you can't get that money till much later in life. That's super, like that is so much information and it's things that I'm really interested in. I've just started looking at what super fund I'm with. And as I've said, I was with the same super fund since I was 14. It's been like 13, nearly 14 years. And I'm starting to look at the fact that I'm not in that industry that uh, my employer originally set me up in and I don't know if that's the right fund for me anymore. So detailing how you actually look into different funds and make that decision is something that I've been going through at the moment. So it's really interesting to hear how you weigh up the pros and cons, because I think there are so many different super funds you can look into and and different things that you can kind of get quite overwhelmed and not really know where to start or how to make that conscious decision. Yeah. And I think the other thing I often say to people, you know, um, by the time most people are sort of in their mid to late twenties, they might have more in super than their first car will cost. And by the time they're my age, they're probably going to have, you know, more in super than the amount they're putting in for their first house. So if you think about the amount of time that you would put in when you buy your first car um, or when you go to buy a house, um, this is also an asset um, that's going to be worth around, the, you know, it could be worth more. So put in the same amount of time and effort into doing research on that. And it's completely doable because, um, anyone that started thinking about what car they might like to own one day or has bought a car has already gone through the process of researching what kind of, you know, what kind of year do I need? Um, what, what's a good price range for this car? 
Um, and you can really apply that same logic to finding a good superannuation fund. So it, the concepts aren't that difficult once you know what you need to look for. So my last question today is something that's been playing on my mind a lot, which is recently, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen the option to take money out of our super fund if we are struggling. I have a couple of friends who were completely out of work who did pull money out of their superannuation. And we know that young people who've grown up as carers have a much lower super balance when they get to their 60, 65-year-old age mark compared to people who didn't grow up as carers and it's the same for women. What is your opinion or how have you found the kind of option to pull out money of your super fund throughout COVID-19? Is this something we should be doing if we're struggling or is it something we should kind of say, well, it's there, we can't touch it, let's just leave it there? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. Like I think firstly is that, you know, if you're in a real situation of financial hardship and you've like looked at all your other options and you don't have any, um, then absolutely take the money out. Don't feel guilty about it because, you know, like I know that many people are under just such stress at the moment and this is a real lifeline. Um, But having said that, Um, I would really encourage people to look at all the other options on the table. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So one is that the Association of Industry Superannuation Funds has done a bit of modelling. And like I talked about earlier on about the value of this money early on. So they've sort of shown that for a 20-year-old, the value of that $20,000, if they took out $20,000 now for somebody in their 20s, could be worth over $150,000 by the time they retire. Um, just because of having that money put away now, all these years of compounding interest really add up down the track. And the second problem is, is that when COVID hit, obviously the share market dropped. And because your superannuation is invested in shares and other investments, it dropped as well. So in the same way that you wouldn't sell a house if there was a housing market crash, um, it's not a good time to take money out of your super and essentially sell those shares because they would have lost quite a bit of value compared to last year. Um, Now, having said that, the share markets are coming back up again. So people who kept their money invested would have made that, would have made some of that money back. Um, And so that's kind of two reasons why we really want people um, to think about it really carefully and think, you know, have I done those other things? Have I asked my landlord for um, a rental break? Or, you know, if you've got a mortgage or the parent or the person you're caring for has a mortgage, have you called the bank and tried to renegotiate with them? Have you got, you know, the other access to the other forms of financial assistance available and really looking at um, those options. We even encourage some people, you know, we even said, look, here's a here's a loan agreement. Um, is there a family member or is there someone that you can borrow money from and and and, and pay them back um, instead of having to take that that money out now? So I really talk to people about, you know, what other options do you have? Um, but of course, if you need that money now, then take it out, don't feel guilty about it, Um, but maybe commit to yourself that when you get back on your feet and you're in a more stable job again, that over time, um, when that time's right, you'll make a commitment to put more into your super and to pay your future self back a bit. Super, super interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your advice and insights on tax and superannuation with us, Christina. If our dreamers want to learn more about you and your work and Verve Super, where can they find you? You can just head to our website, which is vervesuper.com.au. And we actually have a monthly newsletter that goes out with money tips each month. So just scroll to the bottom of the website and you can sign up to the newsletter. 
And also on Instagram, you can follow us as well. We're verve.super. Facebook as well. I'll LinkedIn if you, if you on LinkedIn. Amazing. I'll definitely be signing up. Thank you so much for joining us today, Christina. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for Dreamer Diaries. Each week, we'll follow James and Julie, two young carers on a journey to own their finances. James gets a new job working at the local bakery four days a week. He's excited to be able to work somewhere close by with consistent hours and all the pastries he can stomach. He's so excited, in fact, that he forgets to register for a tax file number before starting his job. James begins to notice his pay isn't as high as he expected and discovers he's being penalised more and more for not having a tax file number. With tax time around the corner, he knows he won't be able to get the money back he normally would during tax time. He decides to do a quick search online and discovers he can register for a tax file number and lodge it at the Australian Post Office before tax season on July 1. Julie also gets her first job as a waitress at a local cafe. Before she starts, her manager, Rob, asks her to complete some paperwork, which includes providing her tax file number and superannuation details. They then provide her with the details of their preferred superannuation fund. Because she has worked before, Julie already has a tax file number and a super fund with her previous employer. She's unsure which fund to keep or leave, so decides to register with this new super account. When Rob asks her why, Julie explains she didn't have much money in her other super account, so she doesn't see what the issue is in opening a new one. Rob realises that Julie may be unaware of how superannuation works, so decides to guide her through the basics. Rob tells Julie that while super may sound confusing and even adults still get things wrong, the main takeaway to remember is having one super account makes it easier to manage her savings in the long run. Having one super account also means she won't have to pay double fees and charges for every account she doesn't need or use, leaving her with more to enjoy later in life when she retires. Even though retirement can seem a long way away, every dollar adds up. It's always better to have more than less. Rob goes on to explain the benefits of the cafe's preferred super fund, emphasising that whatever fund she chooses, she can always consolidate her super into the one account. After talking to Rob, Julie decides to move to his super account as it's more suited for professionals in the hospitality sector, which she plans on working into in throughout high school. She decides to log on to MyGov and move her old super account into her new one. That's it for this episode. This week, I want you to register for a MyGov account and check out the resources available in the Dreamers Hub to learn more about tax season and superannuation. Remember, Dreamers, you can share your progress with us in the forum on the Hub. Bye for now. Third time lucky.